Virginia Tech introduces its new football coach the same day that UVA loses its coach. Now as the Hokies and Hoos get ready for bowl games in baseball stadiums, UVA is zeroing in on its target. And it's looking the same place that Virginia Tech went for its hire. This week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to Episode 70 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, my friend? Mike, just another slow news week, brother. (laughs) It is pretty remarkable. We do these podcasts weekly, and it's pretty remarkable how much has changed (laughs) since the last time we recorded one of these babies. (laughs) Uh, It's it's an interesting time of year, right? You've got the the college football playoff selection. You've got all these coaching changes. uh, You've got the bowl assignments. Is it a fun time of year to be a sports writer, or is this... When you're trying to balance, you know, family holiday stuff, is this stressful? It's both. Yeah. I mean, it it can be fun. And there are some cool things to to write about and uh, snoop into. But sure, it's it's stressful with with the holidays coming. And you you forgot to mention college basketball is is kicking (laughs) into gear. And all kinds of administrative drama around the ACC. So, yeah, there is just a lot of balls to keep in the air right now. No doubt. So in your house, is Tiny Teal old enough to be understanding of you know breaking news and, and some of that? Because I'll tell you this story. Last night we were working, and we'll get into more of the UVA football coaching search, and uh, I was trying to track down something and nail down a, a couple of things I had heard from some sources. And I had my phone in my hands and I was holding my two-year-old and he kept wanting to play the introduction from the original A-Team video on my <laughs> phone. And people were texting and I was sort of stressed and trying to make sure I was getting facts right. And he just kept saying, play A-Team on daddy's phone. And I was, <laughs> I, there was no way to explain to him that <laughs> we could not. So we, we, just use a second phone to play a team. But uh, um, is Tiny Teal a little more uh, understanding of the circumstances? I'll tell you what, Mike, she was a trooper last Thursday night, Mm -hmm. because as folks will remember, that's the day that Brent Pry was introduced as Virginia Tech's new coach. And then around five o'clock, the news hit about Bronco Mendenhall stepping down at UVA. You were already home. (laughs) <laughs> I was not. I was on the interstate and thankfully had time to find a rest stop to do the Zoom with Bronco. But I texted Jill just to say, tell Laura when daddy gets home, he's going straight upstairs to his office because <laughs> he has to write. Yeah. And bless her heart, she was great. I walked in the door, kissed her on the forehead. She said, Daddy, I know you have to work. It's all good. I was done by bedtime. I was able to tuck her in. It was all it was all fine. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that, that night was, that day is one I think I'll remember for a long time. We were both down in Blacksburg. We'll talk about that, the introduction of Brent Pry, and then getting home to the Bronco news. And it's funny, though, what, what kids remember, and you're right, because 
I think all all was well here once I was done in time to give Evan his bath. I think yeah. that, that meant, okay, I got my bath, I got tucked into bed, I got my books read to me. Uh, the other stuff doesn't matter anymore, but uh, it matters to a lot of people, David. So let's, <laughs> let's start in Charlottesville. You mentioned the return trip home from Blacksburg and the news breaking. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall really stunned the UVA program by announcing that he'd be stepping away to as he termed it, refuel and recharge. Um, Unclear if that meant recharge for more college football or recharge for a a whole nother direction in his life. And uh, as you wrote, Bronco, a a man guided by uh, his faith, his principles, and um, I would say, you know, marches to the beat of his own drum and Mm -hmm. uh, whatever comes next, I, I don't think I would be surprised at this point. David, Bronco, turned around the UVA program in his six seasons. I know people were down on the past two years, but um, you know this was a team that went to one bowl game in eight years uh, before Bronco, and it's been bowl eligible for five straight his last five years. Um, certainly the high point was 2019 when they win the Coastal. They beat Virginia Tech. They play in the Orange Bowl. But how do we reflect on or, or view Bronco's tenure? I think just the way you framed it, Mike, and I I think that's a really good way to do it in that one bowl in the previous eight and then five straight seasons of bowl eligibility. Obviously, the Cavaliers opting out just because of COVID fatigue last last season. But no, I I think he's done a stellar job. I understand the frustration with the way that this regular season ended with four consecutive losses, including the home setback to Virginia Tech. But if you look at the overall body of work, there is no denying that Bronco Mendenhall leaves Virginia in far better condition than he found it. Absolutely. My question now then, David, is did he build something that is sustainable or did he just have some good success as the head coach? Well, because you know he was promised a lot of things in terms of facilities, and, and I know they have a plan for that, um, but they haven't broken ground, right? They haven't started the new football mm-hmm. facility. They did get the practice fields, um, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done, weight room, and uh, and there's a lot of things that are that are less tangible in terms of the budget, um, you know, recruiting analyst positions, staff analyst positions. Um, is Virginia? in a better place program wise, or is it just in a better place sort of perception wise because they, they don't stink anymore? It's in a better place program wise, Mike, but to answer your question as to whether Mendenhall built something sustainable, that is now up to Virginia and athletic director Carla Williams and her choice of the next coach and UVA donors as to whether they are going to get all these facilities done and bring Virginia up to at least par with the rest of the ACC and the Power Five. If not, then what Mendenhall built will probably crumble quite quickly. If so, then it can be sustained. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. It does feel like they're at a crossroads. I do want to make the point... Because a lot of people have said Bronco left because they had a four-game losing streak. A lot of people have said Bronco left because they didn't support him with facilities and budget and all that. He made it very clear that that wasn't the case, right? None of those were the trigger for leaving or the reason for leaving. But I've made the argument a few times now that 
if you can take some of those things away, <laughs> right, if they weren't uh, lingering or, or hovering over, it might have been a different decision. So the fact that they haven't been able to follow through on the facility didn't lead Bronco to throw up his arms and walk away. But if they were about to break ground on a multi-million dollar new football facility, might have been a reason to stay. Um, if they win a couple games down the stretch, if they beat their rival and people are feeling a little bit better about the program, might have been a check mark in the stay column because we know that Bronco is not an impulse guy, right? He he gets an impulse or a thought and then he, he does research and, and he writes volumes of notes and uh, considers and considers. So all of these things we're talking about, they're not the reason Bronco left. Those reasons were more personal. They're more about direction of life. Um, but you do have to ask yourself if a few of these things were going better, might his decision have been different? Mike, if Virginia's nine and three and playing in Charlotte last Saturday for the championship, no, we're not having this conversation. Absolutely. But yeah, I agree. But the conspiracy theorists out there who would tell you, oh, Carla Williams mandated that Bronco Mendenhall make staff changes and he refused. And so he resigned in a tiff. I just, I think they are so off base because if that's indeed the case, if those conspiracy theorists are right, then Bronco Mendenhall is downright pathological. I can tell you. Because he sat there and without notes on camera and gave this eloquent opening statement about why he was doing this and everything that led up to it and called Carla Williams the best AD on the planet. That's a direct quote. There's no way in my mind that this was some kind of clash between the administration and the football coach and he took his ball and went home. No chance. The way it was explained to me by a source in the athletic department was Carla Williams would have fully understood that asking Bronco to change his staff was essentially firing him mm-hmm. or, or daring him to leave. Um, and, and that it would never would have come to that, that, that yeah. she had a respect for him, for the work he was doing, that she would never have picked that fight. That's not the, her style of leadership. Um, and I know from a few sources close to the staff, the, the football staff, that you know, this was all Broncos' decision and stunned them, right? Wasn't yeah. something that, you know, we had a meeting and he's, well, we could do this or we could, it wasn't anything like that. It was, and I, again, you know, Broncos an interesting guy, right? <laughs> there, there's no denying that there. I was going to say we could write a book on him. There's already been a book written, uh, which is certainly worth your time. There could probably be a few more chapters added or another volume, but he has always struck me as being honest and, and straightforward uh, with us. Right. Like, I don't think he comes out and manipulates or says things or I think he comes out and and says what he thinks. And you mentioned that Zoom. It felt very heartfelt to me. Right. Sitting in his home, um, you know, and and explaining uh, as best he could um, something that I think a lot of people kind of viewed as unexplainable. Right. Like uh, inexplicable. It was Mm -hmm. how could you walk away from because guys don't do that. Right. Guys don't walk away from power five coaching jobs unless they're getting pilfered to another power five coaching job or an NFL job. It it is outside the realm of what we consider as sports media, sports fans, that somebody wouldn't want this life. (laughs) Uh, I mean, even Urban Meyer with, with the burning out, it was always clear he was coming back right now. If you're Vegas, David, what do you put the odds that Bronco Mendenhall is back in college football versus what do you put the odds that he just does something totally different? I think it's a coin flip. I agree. I agree. I really do. Uh, 
if in two or three years he's recharged and he and Holly decide that their best pulpit, their best avenue toward influencing young people for the better is through football, then I think they'll dive back in. If they believe that that influence is best done through the church, through the Mormon church, I could see that happening. I I don't think, Mike, you can overstate the role of Bronco's faith in this decision. I I really don't. Yeah, I agree. He talks about guiding principles, right? What, What he truly believes in and how that shapes every decision and it was it was almost funny to hear him explain the way he broke the news to his players um as the same way he takes them through any decision here's what i believe here's the mm-hmm. principle that guides that and so here's what i'm doing and um you know it, it's i think there must have been some comfort for the players in that regard that they have seen that presentation so many times i'm going to do this because i believe this because i think this uh, so there was a, a normalcy, if you will, in what had to just be a very jarring and uh, not very normal uh, moment for, for all his players. Yeah, but I was talking to Brennan Armstrong yesterday. He, he described it as, as painful because of how much it, it, it surprised them. But the players at the end did understand. And most important, as Armstrong said, they know for a fact that Bronco still loves them and will support them unconditionally. Right. It's got to be a very different feeling than, and I'm not picking on anybody here, but the coaches who have a two minute meeting with their players because they're going to take another job. Oh, sure. You're picking right. on Brian Kelly. Come I'm on. picking on Brian Kelly. Absolutely. But, um, you know, and then go fake a Southern accent. So yeah, yeah. I'm picking on Brian Kelly, but that, that vibe of, Oh, I love you guys, but I want to go love somebody else now. Yeah. Um, it's very different than Bronco saying, you know, essentially, I love you guys, and if I was coaching college football, you'd be my guys, but I'm going to do something else with my life. It's just um, a very unique situation, and, and now a very unique coaching search, because as you mentioned, Virginia kind of at this crossroads. Uh, where are they going to go? They interviewed Tony Elliott. Uh, we're told last week they interviewed Anthony Poindexter, the, the former uh, All-American for them this week, and it appears they're on the verge of making the offer to Poindexter. Uh, David, what do you make of the process of the targets, and, and what do you make of Poindexter as possibly the next coach? Well, he'd be the, the, the second recent Virginia alum to hold the position. Uh, Al Groh did, did before, after uh, he succeeded George Welsh, not nearly as decorated as Anthony Poindexter. Clearly, Anthony Poindexter would rally the base and especially former players, you know, such a decorated career, you know, the the biggest play in Virginia football history. He was central to helping to stop Warwick Dunn inches from the goal line at Scott Stadium in 1995 to on the final play to clinch that victory over Florida State. He's he's done well as a defensive coordinator at, at Connecticut. Even even Connecticut, Mike, <laughs> as bad as the Huskies have been at, at football of late. I looked this up last night. In 2015, when Poindexter was UConn's D.C., the Huskies ranked 15th in the country in scoring defense. It's amazing. It's remarkable. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Yeah. When you, when you consider the state of the program, 
It, it, it truly is. And he, he had a couple good years when he was a co-DC at Purdue. Well, one in, in particular. They were 24th in the country in scoring defense in 2017. Um, you know, he would he would be the first head coach in football that Virginia hires without previous head coaching experience since Dick, Dick Bestwick in 1976. George Welsh, Al Groh, Mike London, Bronco Mendenhall, all coming with, with previous big whistle experience. So if, if he's the choice, it's as all head, head coaching changes are, it's, a, it's an interesting one and one that you won't be able to evaluate for years on end. But how convenient. Tonight, it's Tuesday as, as we tape this. Poindexter will be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. The ceremonies this year are in Las Vegas. Carla Williams has long planned to lead Virginia's contingent there to celebrate the moment. And who knows, they may have something else to celebrate as well. Right. Yeah. Here's our gift for being inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's an <laughs> offer to come coach your, your alma mater. And I think Poindexter is fascinating because I, I think I've said this on the pod or, or to you Um I feel like Virginia was facing this choice of where are you going to go? Do you want to go completely new and start over, essentially scrap what, what Bronco was doing? Um, or do you want to bring in somebody who's going to address what people see as a, a real weakness on the defensive side of the ball? But it certainly uh, clears the way for somebody like Marcus Hagens to stay on the staff for that continuity. Obviously, there's a connection there. Uh, Clint Sintom, the defensive line coach, um, if we're going to speculate, the connection there. Um, it's I, To me, it's a really good blend of being able to offer some continuity to the program, which is not down, right? It's not like when they were winning two games. Um, keep some continuity, but also address some issues. Defense was a huge issue. You need to address that. Poindexter, as you referenced, addresses that. Um, Financial support, giving, boosters, that's an issue. We'll see if they put their money where their mouth is, but the chatter is that the boosters and the donors would love to see Poindexter. Um, Now, if that's true, write a check, of course, is what it still comes down to. Uh, But I I think he checks off a lot of those boxes. Um, It's a fascinating parallel because we're going to get next into Brent Pry uh, being introduced at Virginia Tech and our our, uh, impressions of, of the Hokies' new coach. But these guys were the co-defensive coordinators at Penn State. Uh, so there's that similarity. These guys, we, you talk about, you know, 1995. Poindexter would maybe the biggest play uh, in Virginia history in 95. And J.C. Price with huge plays in 95 against Miami, the game that people talk about really turning around the program. And Pry, one of his first moves was to retain Price. So there's a lot of symmetry here, uh, not just the fact that they're both hiring coaches in the same year, as they did with Fuente and Mendenhall, uh, some some fun symmetry, right? As you compare UVA and Tech's hire. Well, and not only that, Mike, Brent Pry was a graduate assistant on that 1995 Virginia Tech team that you referenced. So he, he was there for Virginia Tech's first conference championship in the Big East. And he was there for that Sugar Bowl upset of Texas in New Orleans. And he was there on Bourbon Street raising hell with J.C. Price that night after the game. It just happened to be New Year's Eve. Allegedly, as J.C. Price pointed out. (laughs) Yeah, Um, no. Brent Price version of events. Yeah, I I would too. And I'd love to get more details. But uh, yeah, it's, he's an interesting hire and, and, 
the thing that jumped out to me, David, down in Blacksburg that morning was there was no hiding or pretending or avo- the, the one of the main things that made Brent Pry the fit was his connection to Hokies lore, Hokies past. The Frank, I mean, Frank Beamer was sitting in the front row flashing a thumbs up at things that Brent Pry was saying. Bud Foster was there in the, in the VIP seat and, um, you know, laughing. And at one point, uh, somebody asked Pry, you know, your style as a defensive coach is very aggressive. And Pry jumped in and looked at Bud and said, where do you think I got that from, Bud? Uh, mm-hmm. This was very much a hire that was designed to stick with the Frank Beamer, Bud Foster tradition. How we feel about that, we can get into, David, but that was my big takeaway from that morning. Mike, if Brent Pry had not been a graduate assistant at Virginia Tech, had not attended Frank Beamer's football camp when he, Pry, was a player up the road at Lexington High School because his daddy was the offensive coordinator at VMI, if he didn't have those connections, not only would Brent Pry not have gotten the job, Brent Pry wouldn't have sniffed the job. <laughs> and, and, and that's no offense. He yep. would not have even been on Virginia Tech's radar. But because of those connections, and because John Boleyn was Frank Beamer's lieutenant for all those years, and because he is now with Babcock's essentially deputy athletic director, Brent Pry was immediately on Virginia Tech's radar. And then to his credit, when he met with Babcock, and I find this fascinating, via Zoom, there was no in-person interaction during this search, according to Babcock, which to me is, is remarkable. But Pry won Babcock over, and that's to his credit. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, it, it's not just about getting the job, right? <clears throat> When you have a guy who gets in the room with you and can win you over, well, where does that translate, David? How about recruiting, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's something I think as an AD and why you want to um, be face-to-face, preferably in person, but but over Zoom works these days. Um, is he somebody whose vision and passion moves you? Because if it doesn't move you, it's not going to move recruits. It's not going to move parents. It's not going to move coaches when he's trying to hire a staff. So it's not an inconsequential or a a fun tidbit when you talk about somebody doing well in that part of the interview. It is something that translates, I believe, to the job of being a Power 5 football coach. And uh, another thing that Pry hit really hard in in that press conference was the idea of recruiting Virginia, uh, hitting the Commonwealth hard, you know, closing the borders, winning the state, all those kind of cliches. And David, you know, we've talked about it. I think there was a perception that Justin Fuente and his staff didn't focus on Virginia recruiting. I don't know that that was the reality, but perception and recruiting is reality. (laughs) And I think that Brent Pry made it very clear that their focus, their number one, 1A, 1B, 1C, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, their top goal in recruiting is to recruit within the borders. Mike, you can make the argument that during – Brent Pry's time at Penn State, that he and the Nittany Lions recruited Virginia better than either Virginia Tech or UVA. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And another reason that he was a, a smart hire, it makes sense. And and you reference this. We're going to talk about possibly Poindexter at Virginia, Pry at Virginia Tech, and, you know, save this episode and, and we'll, <laughs> we'll run it back in five years and uh, we'll see where we're at. Nobody would have projected, at least I don't think of the two of us, uh, Justin Fuente, um, 
kind of failing the way he did and the trajectory of the program. Um, I don't think any of us would have predicted how quickly Bronco was successful at Virginia uh, or this. Well, I guess you might have predicted the the strange <laughs> ending, but but maybe I not did. At this I, I foreshadowed this one, <laughs> but maybe not at this exact moment. But the point being, yeah, um, right now, all you can evaluate is does Brent Prime make sense as a hire? Does he appear to be a smart hire. Is there a mistake here? And, and I don't see a mistake. Uh, we no. don't know how it'll work out, but I think this is a good hire. No, I agree. Hit, hit all the high notes at, at his presser. You know, we'll see what kind of staff he builds, especially on the offensive side. He's already uh, appointed two new defensive assistants that he has connections with. He's retained J.C. Price. So he's got three of his 10, but they're all on the defensive side. So I think what everyone is awaiting is for those those offensive hires, especially the coordinator's job. Yeah, and I don't think it's – I think this is a situation where Pry is going to hire his offensive coordinator and then see who that guy wants to bring with him, right? Oh, like yeah. I think I think this is very deliberate because um, I had somebody say, well, why doesn't he go out at least and get a, a running back coach or a line coach? And no, that's not – this is going to be a top-down on the offensive side. Go get an offensive coordinator, uh, see who's out there, see who you can attract. Virginia Tech, I asked Whit Babcock at the press conference, are you prepared to, to spend more, essentially, uh, to bring in an offensive coordinator to support the staff? He said yes, that they're upping the, the pool of money for assistance. So I think Pry goes and gets his offensive coordinator, and then certainly in conjunction, but that guy has the opportunity to essentially bring a staff that he already has, put together a staff in his vision. Um, he's not dragging his feet on running back, offensive line, and wide receiver. Uh, he's waiting to see who the OC is going to be hired. Yeah, they're, they're going to bump it, Mike, the assistant coaches pay by about 20%. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 10 full-time assistant coaches will now – be paid a total of about five and a half million, according to the uh, offer sheet that Virginia Tech made public. And in 2019-20, which is the last year, the last non-pandemic year when coaches were at full salary, the Virginia Tech staff made about four and a half million, uh, the, the, the 10 assistants. So the, the, this is an increase of more than 20%. Yeah, which is is substantial, and you know we talked about where UVA is lagging, and you know Virginia Tech may be ahead of UVA in this regard, but but has some work to do there as well, and um, is taking that step, and you know those two programs, uh, they're going to be compared <laughs> anyway, so I think it's kind of fitting that um, they're both on the market and, and adding new coaches in the same year, and that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. It's just like 2015 all over again. You got Virginia and Virginia Tech hiring new coaches again at the same time. Bronco Mendenhall outlasted Justin Fuente just by a few games. So <laughs> who wins this round? Who sticks at his new job longer? Brent Pry with the Hokies or Anthony Poindexter with the Who's? Let's start with David. Well, if, if indeed Virginia hires Anthony Poindexter, I will side with him lasting longer for two reasons. One, because he's a true alum of UVA, whereas whereas Pry, he's a University of Buffalo guy, but you know, he, he spent some time in Blacksburg. And two, because the expectations at UVA are not in football, are not quite what they are in Virginia Tech. 
are at Virginia Tech. So I think Poindexter will have a little more leeway there than perhaps Brent Pry. So I would say that Poindexter would have the longer tenure. Well, David, thank you. Mike? Well, buckle up. I'm about to ratchet up the pressure on Poindexter <laughs> if he gets the job. I think Brent Pry sticks longer with Virginia Tech because I think Anthony Poindexter is an up-and-comer. Um, I can see a situation where he's successful at Virginia and is lured away somewhere else. Yes, he's an alum. Yes, you know they're going to do what they can to keep him. I don't know that they have the resources to compete if somebody else comes calling a Big Ten or an SEC head job. I could see Poindexter being successful for three or four years and getting plucked away. Whereas I could see Pry, if he's successful, sticking and the Hokies being his destination job. So uh, in the interest of not having the same answer, I'm going to say Pry sticks longer and that Poindexter is so wildly successful, if he gets the job, <laughs> that he's the target for a Big Ten school or who maybe uh, lures him away. And um, again, so I'm, I'm ratcheting up the pressure, Anthony Poindexter, if you take the job, uh, you're now expected to be <laughs> three and done <laughs> from me at Virginia. Uh and of course, that would include going to bowl games, which is something that Bronco Mendenhall got Virginia to, something that Frank Beamer really kind of built the brand at Virginia Tech of, of being a team that, that was always in a bowl game. And then certainly had those string of 10-win seasons and, and the national title game appearance. But while all this coaching news was going down and, and everything was swirling at, at UVA and Tech with that, uh, UVA accepted an invitation to the Fenway Bowl in Boston. Bronco Mendenhall will coach that as his final game. Virginia Tech got uh, the invite to the Pinstripe Bowl in New York. So both teams are going to be playing their bowl games in, in northeastern cold cities, uh, in iconic baseball stadiums. J.C. Price, the interim coach, will continue to coach the Hokies uh, in that bowl game. Uh, David, where do you want to start? Which bowl game do you want to look at first? Well, let's start the, the, the farthest north, and we'll, we'll start at Fenway. That works for me. Even though I'm a Yankee fan, I probably would start Yankees <laughs> over Red Sox. But uh, let's do it. It's it's SMU, a, another program undergoing a coaching change. Uh, when we spoke to Bronco Mendenhall about the bowl selection, he hadn't yet really delved into uh, SMU personnel and scheme, but um, he knew what they were running uh, under, under Dykes and uh, how potent they can be offensively. Certainly, this game on the surface has the appearance that maybe it could be a, a shootout, high-scoring kind of affair. I think it does. Mike, do we know who's coaching SMU in the bowl yet? I don't believe that's been. I, I don't think it has been because SMU already has its new coach in Rhett Lashley, who was Miami's offensive coordinator this season and is a former SMU offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it still, to me, is unclear whether Lashley will coach the bowl or Dykes's staff. It, 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 it seems very awkward so far. Yeah, so though I will say that, you know, Lashley could certainly at least uh, help out and, and give a scouting report, right? Right. Uh, as you mentioned, they've already played this year. Um, yeah, it's an interesting – the other thing that leads intrigue to this game, you know, obviously Broncos' last game, we'll get into that in a second, and, um, you know, Lashley coming in at SMU. But, David, there are a ton of Virginia players, understandably, putting their name in the NCAA transfer portal. There's a coaching change coming. Um, they want to get – you know, a head start on finding their new school if they're not satisfied with, with the new coach and the new staff. Normally, Bronco Mendenhall has been pretty cut and dry. You know, you, you put your name in the portal. At that point, you're done. You're not committed to the program. We don't need you at practice. We don't need to play you in games. We don't need to play you in a bowl game. Um, if you've made the decision that you're in the portal, you're not 
committed to Virginia, we're, we're going to kind of move on. This year, because of the unusual circumstance with the fact that he's leaving, he said he's open to players staying with the program, practicing and playing in the bowl game if they choose. There are some big names lineup-wise for Virginia in the portal. Noah Taylor, the outside linebacker. Olu Olusikin, uh, Oluwatimi, the uh, cent- starting center. Bobby Haskins, the starting left tackle. These are guys that Virginia presumably wouldn't fare particularly well playing without. Um, what do you make of Broncos' approach, and um, how curious are you to see uh, of these guys who are in the portal, how many are, are there now versus how many are going to play the bowl game and then think about leaving? Well, I don't think Bronco had any choice because he wants to coach even though he's leaving. So it would almost be hypocritical for him to say, oh, just because you're exploring your options, you're no longer one of us, you can't play in the bowl. So to me, there was absolutely no other decision to make than to allow these young men to play if they so choose. And you're right, Virginia needs them or it's going to be a long or a long morning slash afternoon in Fenway with that 11 a.m. kick. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, doing the right thing certainly I think is something that that Bronco thinks about and, and guides him, but just pragmatically. Can you play this game? If everybody yeah. who's in the portal uh, is a no-show for the bowl game, can you play? Uh, it's it's going to be a fascinating question the next two weeks as we find out from these kids uh, what their thought process is. Are, are they going to play or, or, or are they already one foot out the door? Uh, similar issues for Virginia Tech. Uh, Amari Barno has already opted out of the bowl game. Some other names there. Jordan Williams. Uh, Jordan Williams, who was I thought had an outsta- undervalued year at defensive mm-hmm. tackle for them. He was on my all-conference ballot. I thought he was... Uh, Trey Turner? Yeah. Uh, Tavian Robinson. So yeah. Turner and Robinson in the receiving core. Barno and Williams on the D-line. Just stop there. Is J.C. Price going to be able to field a competitive team uh, when they go up against Maryland in the pinstripe bowl with all of these guys who are not going to play? It's going to be really a chore, Mike. I mean, you're, you're talking about for their best players, really. And they're not, they're not going to be there. And that's what we know about today. I mean, it, there could be further attrition. You, you never can tell. So uh, Hokie's going to have their, their work cut out against Maryland. No question. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because with Pry already hired and, and Price being retained, I think Virginia Tech can view the bowl game as a little more developmental for the future, right? Get, work on some young guys, play some guys, get get real-time evaluations for Pry and the new coaches. Um, I think there's an element of that in, in these practices. Bronco made it pretty clear, right? It's business as usual, preparing to win a game, and then the new coach can figure out what he wants to do from there. Um so a little bit of different different approach there. That's going to be interesting to watch. Another thing I want to read you, David. This is a tweet from Bud Foster, the former longtime defensive coordinator, all-time great in that job, Bud Foster from Virginia Tech. He tweeted yesterday, I really don't understand college players across the country opting out of their team's bowl game. For 90% of you, if not higher, that's going to be the last game you'll ever play. Enjoy the experience because it's short. Hashtag finish with your brother. David, you and I are both pretty firmly, I think, on the side of um, athlete empowerment and, you know, players should be paid more and given more and, and, and they have the right to do what they want, look out for their future. Uh, but I get what Bud's saying there, right? There's a culture in football, in the locker room, that's supposed to be you stand with your brother, you, no man left behind kind of thing. Um, 
What do you think of Bud's tweet, and what's your take on guys who uh, simply are turning their eye to the future and, and don't feel like finishing? I think Bud's take is sincere, and I certainly understand it from a coach, and I think he he brings experience. I mean, that, that tweet reflects his experience not only as a coach but as a player. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he looks back and says, gee, I wish – because he played at a, at a 1AA program at Murray State. So, you know, what I wouldn't have given to have one more game with my brothers. And there may be some folks who opt out of bowls who two, three months, two, three years later, they, oh, man, I wish I'd had one last ride uh, with with my teammates. And look at a guy, if, if ever a guy had reason to opt out of a bowl, what about Sam Howe in right. Carolina? You know, he's going to be a, a high-round draft choice, and they just finished a very disappointing regular season. A whole bunch of Tar Heels opted out of the Orange Bowl last year. But Hal, nope, he's he's all in on going to the Mayonnaise Bowl to, to play South Carolina later this month. So good on him. I don't begrudge anyone either decision. If it were me, I mean, well, I've never been that skilled, so it's it's hard for me <laughs> to say. But I think I'd want to play. I, I tend to, to feel the same way. And, you know, I, I haven't played anything really competitively since high school. And um, if I had had a chance to play one more football or basketball game in high school, yeah. like yeah. And, and that's the thing I like about Bud's statement. It wasn't blasting players. No. He wasn't calling them greedy. He wasn't calling them selfish. He was talking about the R word, regret. Right. And he was saying, hey, here's my take. You're, you may regret this. You may look back and realize, man, I threw away a chance to have one more special memory. Now, for guys who, who figure to be high draft picks and they're protecting the future, I get that. For guys who are on the fringe, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But I think that's but what you said is Bud's exact point, I think, that you may find yourself sitting in the living room next year or in two years or three years watching bowl games and thinking, man, I wish I had played that last bowl game with my teammates because, David, I, I, I don't know how much value bowl games truly have anymore in, in the era of the college football playoff, but you talk to guys who played in them and even games that we would consider inconsequential, um, guys who've gone into coaching or, or left football entirely, there seems to be a real love for, nostalgia um, for the experiences they had. And I think that's Bud's point is don't be so quick to make a business decision, even if it's the right business decision, and give this up because you may find yourself regretting. Agreed. And, you know, Mike, how many of, of, of these players, I don't know all their backgrounds, how many of them have ever been in New York City? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure part of the Pinstripe Bowl experience is it, you know, at least getting a cursory tour of, of the sights and sounds. And there's something to be said for that, too. And that brings us to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. For Tech and UVA playing in legendary baseball venues like Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park makes up for being shipped to cold weather cities in December instead of more tropical bowl destinations. Take it or leave it. Let's start with Mike. 
I spent a lot of time in my career covering games in Yankee Stadium and uh, spent a lot of time in Boston. I would like the warm weather, but I'm going to take it because of what we just talked about with, with Bud Foster's sentiment. Maybe right now, if you're a player, you're thinking, oh, why couldn't we go to the Bahamas? Why couldn't we go to Florida, <laughs> right? I get that. I'm looking outside at the wind blowing leaves around. I get it. But I think this will be one when the players look back. I played a football game at Fenway Park. I played a football game at Yankee Stadium. I think that's going to be something really special for them to look back on. So I'm going to take it with the understanding that right now, it might to go back to Frank Beamer being hired at Virginia Tech. It might feel like you just got a sweater on Christmas morning, but you may look back and, and, and really love and appreciate that sweater. I, I'm going to take it because I think it's pretty cool to be in those spots. David? Mike, I know you you prefer for us to have opposite answers just for the sake of <laughs> argument, but I'm going to take it as well. Playing football in front of the Green Monster? Right. I mean, playing football right near Monument Park? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and, 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 and those arches? I mean, come on, man. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm very much looking forward to, to being at one of these games. And, um, you know, the timing of the kickoff means I won't be able to be at both. But uh, were they a day apart, I would gladly make the travel between the two cities are real close. I've done that trip where I've seen a baseball game at Fenway and then a baseball game at Yankee the next day. Uh, yeah, I don't mind us having the same answer, David, because it's the right answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a sports fan, and these are not just, okay, you're playing in a baseball stadium that's unique and quirky. These are two of the iconic venues in baseball. I, I don't want to get down this, but I'm a huge baseball guy, um, big baseball nostalgia guy. My basement is filled with Yankee memorabilia and a big thank you to Washington Post sports writer Gene Wong, a good friend of ours who uh, every time he visits now, he seems to bring me a new piece of Yankee memorabilia. My newest one, I'm, I'm waiting to frame here. It's a picture of Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. But uh, yeah, I, I think there is these two stadiums and, and maybe you, know, you put Wrigley uh, in that category, certainly. Um, Dodger Stadium, Chavez Ravine, you put in that category. I think there's something special about these spots, and, and I think these kids, I hope, are going to take that in and, and really appreciate it. Yeah, I think they will. Now, David, those are quote-unquote lower-tier bowls. We talked about um, you know what do bowls mean these days with, with the advent of the college football playoff. We also found out the four teams that are headed to this year's playoff. And uh, after a pretty resounding win over Georgia in the SEC title game, Alabama, stop me if you've heard this, they're, they're <laughs> number one again. Michigan, Jim Harbaugh finally having uh, the success that really is demanded of the Michigan man there in that job. Uh, handled Iowa in the Big Ten title game. His team's number two. Georgia, after that loss to Alabama, wasn't sure where they would fall to. They fell to third, and Cincinnati, the first group of five team to make the playoff, are fourth. Personally, I had Cincinnati third and Georgia fourth on my AP ballot. There was no way, no way in heck the committee was going to put Alabama-Georgia in a semifinal rematch immediately after they just played. Um, David, overall, are you satisfied with the committee's work? Yes. I I vote in the football writers poll, and that was my top four in order. Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincinnati. I think they got it right. I think it was pretty easy. Now, if Oklahoma State, Mike, gains one more yard right. in that Big 12 championship game and beats Baylor, ooh, with the debate between Oklahoma State and Cincinnati have been interesting. Absolutely. And maybe it's because we cover two teams that play in the ACC's Coastal Division, but 
I was rooting for that chaos, <laughs> right? Like I want, I, I wanted all these teams to, Oh, I wanted Oklahoma to lose. I wanted Oklahoma state to win the next. I, I wanted all of these curveballs because I've become, I consider myself now an aficionado of chaos. And, 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 uh, I, I like it. I like the idea that, uh, it isn't going to be cut and dry, but I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, the four were obvious. I tipped to Cincinnati on this thought. I was going more on what have they earned versus who's better. I think Georgia, Cincinnati, Georgia's the better football team. So I think the committee got it right for what their work is. I think for the polls, I wanted Cincinnati to be recognized at the highest level for being undefeated. And it wasn't a junk schedule, right? There's some good wins in there. And then there's Notre Dame, which is a great win. Um, yeah, on the road. Notre Dame. Yeah, that's a great win. Like I, So this isn't one of those cases where you're trying to conjecture, okay, well, there's some other good teams in the conference and they beat them. No, they, they beat those teams and they beat Notre Dame. I love the four. I'll be very curious if Cincinnati can compete. Now, they beat Notre Dame. It's a different deal sometimes uh, with, with the time off and the preparation. Um, you know, the advantage, Nick Saban there in terms of the experience of getting his team ready, having been through the drill. I hate the fact that whatever the final score in the Cincinnati game is, uh, win, lose, or draw, will be a referendum on whether or not they belonged. I, I, there's no way to avoid it, but they belong however that game shakes out. Uh, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, this is a playoff that I know I'm looking forward to watching. No question. Just from a curiosity standpoint, especially with, with Cincinnati, Mike of all 42 bowls, the biggest point spread is Alabama, Cincinnati, (laughs) Alabama minus 14. Your your reward, right. For an undefeated season. Uh, But what do you do? Right. How do you avoid, how do you avoid that? And honestly, I'm banging on, I think, you know, I had them at three on my poll. What would the spread be if they were playing Michigan? 10, 12 and a half. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is, um, but for Luke Fickle, for Cincinnati, who are uh, on their way to a power five conference, if they can be competitive or if they can gasp, hold your ears, roll tide nation, uh, if they can win that game, mm-hmm. what does that say about what they've built? But if the point spread is right and it plays out, it doesn't take away from the season they've had, and they 100% deserve to be there. Yeah, Mike, if, if this had been, say, the 1980s and the polls decided the national champion, Cincinnati would have won the national championship. Because back then, mm-hmm. if, if, if you lost, you dropped. If you right. won, you kept climbing. And Cincinnati's the only undefeated FBS team out there. Much much like BYU in 84, right. I believe, and with under Lavelle Edwards. And the Cougars were the only undefeated team. And by golly, they won the national championship. Mm-hmm. And back in that era, this Bearcats team, they'd have been hanging a banner. No doubt, no doubt. And, and and in a sense, deservedly so, right? You go undefeated. And I mentioned that, you know, we mentioned that Notre Dame win. So that, that sort of legitimizes it all. Uh, but I think for fans, this is a better way to sort it out. David, we just named four teams that are in the college football playoff. And I'm looking at those names and I'm looking at I'm looking at I don't <laughs> see an ACC team nope. in that four. <laughs> um, First time. And, and we're not surprised, right? No. It's been trending this way. But uh, Pitt Wake Forest, the ACC title game, uh, Pitt with a, a pretty strong performance there. Kenny Pickett with another strong performance earns himself a spot as a Heisman finalist. How about that? Yeah, and 
hard to argue, right? And and we're not as Heisman voters, we're not allowed to divulge who we voted for. Um, but it's fair to say that I was impressed with Kenny Pickett this year. I don't think yeah. I'm I don't think I'm letting any cat out of the bag to to say that uh, that he he impressed this year. What did you make of the ACC title game and um, where both of these programs are, Pitt and Wake Forest, right now? Well, I was disappointed in the game. Yeah, just because it, it turned in. It was close in the third quarter. But then Sam Hartman kept throwing picks, mm. and Pitt's defense was awesome, and we knew Pickett was going to be good, or certainly suspected that he would be. ACC just can't catch a break with his championship games. Right. <laughs> Seemingly every year, 2016, accepted when we saw Virginia Tech give give Clemson all it wanted down in Orlando. But most every year, these are blowouts. But this year on the coastal side. This was supposed to be the year that was different because Clemson wasn't there. Yeah, Pitt's the first coastal team to win the ACC championship game since the Hokies in 2010. Yeah, I mean, a decade of dominance for the Atlantic. And and you mentioned a lot of those games lopsided. Big bad Clemson wasn't there this year. And David, I will say the, the first quarter of the game, started off the way right? I thought it might, right? 14-14, and you were like, these guys are going to both go for 80 today. Yeah. It's going to be phenomenal. Uh, you know, both these quarterbacks might end up Heisman finalists by the time the day's over, and you're right, it just didn't didn't play out that way. But I, I think it was refreshing. No offense to Clemson. I think it was refreshing that Clemson wasn't there. Let's look at the Tigers, because Dabo Sweeney's going to be back, and uh, Clemson I don't think is going anywhere, but Brent Venables is gone. He took the job at Oklahoma, the defensive coordinator who, in many ways, helped elevate the Clemson program, uh, you know, a program that was on the climb, that was getting better. But I think Brent Venables deserves a ton of credit uh, for elevating it to great. Uh, Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, was a candidate and interviewed at Virginia. He's still a candidate at Duke and a strong candidate there. Uh, what do we think is next for Clemson? Well, and Mike, Clemson may lose its AD as well. Dan Radakovich is in the mix to become the next athletic director in Miami. And the, the, the administrative drama in the, in the league is off the charts because then you have Vince Tyree, the AD of Louisville, maybe going to Florida State. So it's, it's just crazy. But more to your point about Clemson, if you lose your athletic director and both coordinators within a two-week span, I mean, that's – that's seismic change. And whereas Clemson almost certainly would promote from within for the AD's job, Deputy Graham Neff would, would be the choice there. I'm fascinated to see what Dabo will do with, one, the defensive coordinator job, and then if Tony Elliott indeed leaves, what he'll do on the offensive side as well. Does he feel like he has people on his staff who are ready to assume those roles or does he look for some new blood outside the program fascinating decision it is and and this isn't a criticism of Dabo, but he is very much the uh quintessential ceo yes right that that's the role he kind of crafted he he got the job as an interim coach uh handled it well and he has put himself in the position where he's the ceo and he empowers his coordinators what happens here I, i i tend to think that at least on the defensive side, he goes out and tries to get a guy, a well-established guy who can um, 
do what Brent Venables was doing. Not exactly the X's and O's, but um, kind of run the show. Offense, he's got his background there a little more. He was a wide receiver coach before he became the interim. Is he a little more comfortable there promoting from within and maybe taking more of a role? But again, you know, he has built Clemson with himself as the CEO. I think he's a guy who understands and wants two strong coordinators, which is what makes that situation so interesting. It really is. And especially the fact that they're coming off for them. What is a in quotation marks down year of only nine wins. And those three losses were all to nationally ranked teams by one score. But yeah, it's changes afoot down there in uh, Pickens County, South Carolina. And uh, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to, to watch it unfold. You know, change of foot there, change of foot in Charlottesville, change of foot in Blacksburg. And David, I thought, ugly change afoot down in South Florida where we can debate firing Manny Diaz. I I think he had done enough to to retain the job, but certainly uh, within the prerogative of, (laughs) I don't know who, because they don't have an AD right now, but certainly within the prerogative of a school to make a change. But the fact that what was laid out essentially was Miami was negotiating with Oregon coach Mario Cristobal. And if they could get him to come, they were going to fire Manny Diaz. And if they didn't, Maybe they would stick with Manny. I think shame on you, Mario Cristobal, for engaging in that. Let Miami make their decision. And if you want the job, obviously it's yours. Um, I think shame on Miami for treating Manny Diaz that way while he's out still recruiting and still working uh, his hardest for the program after what was a really resounding uh, kind of bounce back for them in the second half of this year. I mean, they lost their quarterback, Derek King, who who was what the offense was built around uh, and you know, Manny Diaz's staff, Rhett Lashley, who we mentioned going to SMU, uh, they they got rolling with Tyler Van Dyke. So I just thought for all the things we talk about in college, I thought that was ugly and really mismanaged by whoever it is at Miami that is managing these things. Well said, Mike. And you talk about Miami bouncing back. The Hurricanes were two and four and their next two games were against NC State and Pitt. Mm-hmm. At that point, Manny Diaz is dead coach walking because right. they're going to be two and six and they're toast. But they won those next two games mm-hmm. remarkably. And yeah, they, they they lost one down the stretch, the the, the the game in Tallahassee, which I'm I'm sure still uh, eats at folks there. But overall, for for them to rally and finish seven and five like that, props to Manny Diaz, his players, and his staff. And Mike, you know, for all of Miami's bravado and we've won five national championships and we've got swagger and we're going to get it back. This struck me as the height of insecurity Mm -hmm. because we're not, if we can't get Mario Cristobal, we're going to keep the guy who we're, we're, we're treating like trash. Mario Cristobal is not Nick Saban. If you're Miami, if you think that much of yourself and you have such high standards, fire Manny Diaz. And if Mario Cristobal doesn't want to come, go get somebody else who you know wants to be there and who you are convinced will elevate the program because you're big, bold Miami. Surely you can attract that kind of candidate, can't you? You keep telling us about how great you have been 
it just it struck me as so insecure and so small. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You, you want to know the problem at Miami? It's not Manny Diaz. It wasn't Al Golden. It wasn't any of these coaches or players. The problem is a culture there that stinks. And it's a culture there that leads you to negotiate with another coach while you're still employing Manny Diaz. And um, I don't know. I mean, if, if I look at Miami and think that, yeah, they got their guy, but I feel more like they're a mess than ever before because of the way it was handled. <sighs> Miami Mike puts the diss in dysfunctional. <laughs> but they do have South Beach going for them. They do have ceviche going for them. And as we were talking about with the bowl games, they got that warm weather. So yeah. <laughs> I guess you still got that going. And uh, good luck to them. Good luck to all of you. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. It makes a great holiday gift for the sports fan in your family. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next time.